check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. All right, we're feeling energetic. We're feeling ready to give you episode 234, the Black Brothers, part of the Lucchese file on the Wise Guys series. We're going to dive in as we continue with the Lucchese crime family. We started off with Thomas Lucchese. Remember, our starting dates are 1931. It's when Lucky Luciano created the commission and the five families. From there, we discussed that Tommy Lucchese was the underboss between 1931 and 1951. But he was actually the street boss from inception because the actual boss of what was called the Gagliano family at the time Thomas Gagliano, he didn't want to come out in the limelight, mostly because he didn't trust his other uh, bosses in the other families, such as Provacci, Bonanno, and Mangano. So he allowed Tommy Lucchese to run the day-to-day operations, and he was his underboss, and as such, Tommy paid him back with ultimate loyalty that had never been seen in Costa Nostra. After Gagliano died in 51, there is reports that he died in 53, but it doesn't matter. Tommy Lucchese takes over in 1951, and he will run the family as boss from that year till 1967. We talked to you about the candy store, and we spoke about Joe Lucchese, little brother to Thomas, that became a capo in the Lucchese crime family, and he ran his operation in an area that his boss brother Thomas Lucchese wanted to establish by putting his flag in that area, and that was Corona Queens. And today we're going to talk about one pair of brothers, well, not a pair of brothers, three of them actually, and their names are not black, so don't be alarmed by the black brothers. That's actually their nickname. But the three brothers, one would become a capo, and the other two soldiers in the Lucchese crime family. The oldest brother is an original, which basically means He came in when the doors got opened in 1931. So we'll talk about this and what their contributions were to the Lucchese crime family and the area of Corona, Queens. How do you get in contact with us? It's real simple. RaiderCop.com is the website where you can hear all our episodes from number one all the way to 234. And RaiderCopNation.com is our official website where you can get more information on us and upcoming shows. Find us on social media. Just look us up, Raider Cop, Raider Cop Nation. 
and you will find us. And of course, you can always hear the podcast either on those two websites I just gave you or wherever you get your podcast. So today we have a show that, remember our lineup now is back-to-backs, right? So if this episode is about the Wise Guy series, the next episode would be Wise Guy 2. Then we will transition into Firearms and there'll be two shows on firearms and then we'll transition into the day-to-day operations of law enforcement so this is our new format that we're doing so it will at the end of this episode i'll break you down the schedule for july and august hopefully it won't get moved but we'll we'll go through the schedule at the end If you're looking for the opportunity to fix up your gun, make that that sucker look brand new. Well, I know the guy that can do it, and he's down in Miami, Florida. His name is Pistol Pete the Gunsmith. Believe it or not, Pistol Pete actually is on vacation. Folks, we cannot allow, we cannot have Pistol Pete enjoying himself, basking in the sun without fixing a gun this is unheard of so the only way to correct this is by you contacting pistol pete the gunsmith in miami his information is down on the show notes and i can guarantee you your weapon won't be the same when he finishes he will turn into you a masterpiece and how do i know well pistol pete the gunsmith was the gunsmith armorer to thousands of police and corrections officers in Miami-Dade County. Today, he runs Pistol Pete the the Gunsmith. And if you're looking for training, you're in the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. Kilo Sierra, he's your man. His information's on the show notes as well. We're going to bring Kilo on this month too. Just like last month, he took us through the handgun course. And uh, you can get that training with him if you're in the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. Just go ahead and look up his information on the show notes and give him a, a ring. And if you're in Florida and you're looking to be a pistolero and learn how to shoot and the particulars of concealed weapons permits, you can drop me a line. If you're not in my area of Tampa Bay, I will hook you up with somebody that knows what they are doing. So now we've come to the sad part in the episode where we have to go through living in the Bolshevik states of woke. And it is, for those that have never heard it, it is three stories that happened this week under the chaos of the Biden administration that we have to endure as Americans for the next, what is it, three and a half lovely more years to go with this goof at the helm. So let's do and listen to Living in the Bolshevik States of Woke. Tasha called the servants of the mental with her bipolar uncle, uh, bipolar. 
Why? Well, first story in living in these Bolshevik states of woke takes us across, across the globe to Afghanistan as the Biden administration just continues to telegraph how they're leaving, when they're leaving, what routes they'll be taking. And now our forces are coming under fire. He recently, Uncle Joe had a press conference where his babbling is at a consistent pace. And he stated that this is what I inherited. In other words, if I didn't, I would probably stay in the war. What the hell? It pays good dividends. But he is now telegraphing, telegraphing, and telegraphing our every move. Two. Our second story takes us to the door-to-door COVID-19 vaccine. Uncle Joe has told the American public that he is going to go door-to-door to give out that vaccine. They're going to come to your door, my door, and they're going to convince us. They're going to be in tears, folks, after the sob story they tell us. Rolling up our sleeves or pulling down our pants, really ready and willing to get that injection. Sad day. The United States government has to force things on its citizens. And our third story takes us... The witch from Michigan, better known as the governor, is saying that uh, Carmilla wasn't, hasn't been treated fairly. And she, yep, she did it. She went for the card, and she said because of race and gender. So the governor in Michigan, better known as the witch, is now going around saying that Camilla has not been treated fairly because of race and gender. Yeah, folks, you can't make it up. And the economy continues to tank. Gas prices are going up. Inflation is not around the corner. It's already here picking your pockets. And 45, Donald J. Trump is words today are more profound than ever as, God, there's so many millions of Americans that miss him. As we start seeing the boat floating in the ocean and the iceberg not far away. Shiver me timbers. But we've always told you After the miserable three stories, we've got the joke of the week, and here it goes. Time to get your spirits up. Here we go. (laughs) You know, you're old when almost everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Look, you can take it out on me all you want. It's an old joke. Get it? And I thought it cheer you up but I know what will cheer you up and that is the word of the week from the book of Isaiah 
chapter 41, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. God, if you are faithful, he is faithful as well. You can hear more on these messages that we say every episode on RaiderCopNation.com. There's a section when you see uh, on the website, it says upcoming shows. Hit that banner, it'll drop down, and it'll say AWOL Monday, I believe. And that, that will give you a lot of the shows that we've already recorded. Still, We're still working and tweaking on it, but you, know, you can hear, hear the shows 30 minutes or less. The powerful word of God for your life, because without that, you're pretty much uh, going up the, the river without the paddle. You need to paddle, buddy. Episode 234, The Black Brothers. We're going to talk about from the files of the Lucchese crime family. And as we continue, we're going into the area of Corona, Queens. This was the area that Thomas Lucchese wanted to plant his flag. Now, Tom Lucchese, underboss and boss of the Lucchese crime family, he basically operated in the Lower East Side in Manhattan for a better location and areas in the Bronx as well. But Queens is where the area that he lived. His family had moved there. And he entrusted his brother Joseph, Joe Brown, as he was known, to establish that area. These three that we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about what they established and how effective they were from the files of the Lucchese crime family. Episode 234, the Black Brothers, and they were made men in the Lucchese crime family. We're opening up the foul today, and we're going to discuss it as part of the Wise Guys series. The three brothers, the first one, Felice, Philly Black, as he was known, is an original. He started as a, became a made member in Inception. And inception for a lot of people was basically from 1931. They might have been made uh, prior to that, but remember, that's a date that Luciano put everything in motion on the commission and the five families. So Philly Black is an original. His other younger brother, Philip, is going to be a made member, a soldier, 
during his career, and his little brother, James Jimmy Black, will, of course, uh, also be a soldier his entire career. But the rank doesn't mean the capabilities. So nowadays, when you hear a lot of this mob talk stuff and you hear soldiers say, yeah, he's only a soldier. You know, not everybody can be a boss. But we're going to discuss how important these individuals were to the boss. Who were their, who, who were their parents? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Falco. And Phillies, Philly Black was born in East Harlem in 1907. And his younger brother, Philip, was born in 1908. And... Jimmy, the youngest of the three brothers, was born in 1912. So as you can see, these are no spring chickens, but they contributed a lot. Phil, Phil, Philly Black, Jimmy Black, and Philip Falco would go on and establish not only areas, the area of Queens, but their old stopping grounds, which was East Harlem as well. And they were very astute when it came to the numbers racket, gambling. And again, the older brother, Felice, which eventually becomes a capo, was very good at it. Very small, old man, rimmed glasses. And all three of these brothers they flew underneath the radar. Old timers are very difficult to dig up what they've done and who they were because informants didn't exist until the 60s when Joe Valachi started to type away his papers. But other than that, there had been no snitches. So it is understood that these individuals, all of them, would fly underneath the radar. The brothers would also go under the leadership of their capo at the time in their career as with uh, Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo. We know that Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo would eventually become the boss of the Lucchese crime family later on after Tommy Lucchese dies in 67. One of the big things that they were into was vending machine rackets. Now, there are many, all the families were involved in vending machines. That, we're not saying that they had the exclusive. But to understand the scope of what's going on here, as I discussed, I believe, in the episode about Thomas Lucchese, at one point, right after Prohibition is about to end and they're going to legalize uh, drinking again, and Thomas Lucchese, together with Lucky Luciano, which is a different family, they start going over the possibilities of how they're going to make income because their big money maker alcohol is about to become legal again a lot of these rackets 
a lot of these industries that were attacked were the brainchild of Thomas Lucchese. He shared his ideas and his efforts with other families, but most notably, what is considered the West Side or the Genovese crime family. Today, at that time, it was the Luciano uh, crime family. And one of these uh, ventures was the vending machine. Now, the vending machine had several options. And uh, if you had an establishment, a pizzeria, a restaurant, a bar, or any type of establishment, you would be visited by your neighborhood tough guy that uh, masqueraded as an associate of the Lucchese crime family in this case. And they would tell you how it was a great day for you because for a low fee of $100, $200 a month, you could have a vending machine that belonged to them in your establishment. And you would split the profits with whatever make-believe union they would create, like the uh, American Vendors Association. I just made that one up. I don't even know if it's true. And, you know, it didn't take long to kind of figure out what was going on. And you said, hey, okay, yeah, sounds great. Now, as the, the rules were read to you, you kind of understood $100 a month and we split. So you actually believe that you're going to make 100 and you're going to make some other money. But next month, that same neighborhood tough guy will visit you again and he'll explain to you as he's encouraging you to take out $100 or $200 at a gas register for having the vending machine in your establishment. Then they would open the vending machine and see what was inside it. And let's say you had uh, $50, which is probably a whole lot. I should make it a lot less. But let's say it's $50. They turn around and give the owner, here you go, buddy. We made a good month. Here's 25 for you. And they'd walk out. So that is one part of it. And then the other part is the... You basically had the machine in your establishment and they just collected on it. You didn't get anything out of it. So the vending machine industry was a big money producer at the time. Now, a lot of people say, well, how, how are you going to make a lot of money? We're talking about hundreds of vending machines all around a given area. So... Back to my buddy Dino, that I told you I worked with him in the early 80s in a famous hotel in Miami Beach. At the time I worked security and Dino was a teamster bellman. Believe it or not, they existed back then. He had transferred from New York, was born and raised in the area of Corona. And uh, we hit it off. And he mentioned to me during the years that we worked together, he'd always have a good story to tell you. I do remember him talking about the Black Brothers. And sometimes in Dino's stories, it was hard to follow. But as I told you that he had 
I'd served in the war, don't remember which one, if it was either the Second World War or the Korean War, might have been the Second World War. When he came back, he really didn't want anything to do with organized crime because his dad was very strict and always told him to stay away from these people. But he did have relatives that, of course, were somewhat connected. So Dino ends up taking a job when he gets out of the military of driving a truck and he becomes a teamster. He's basically running down the garment district picking up clothing and they had certain warehouses in Corona where they would store a lot of this stuff because the ports of the airports were being established. Uh, that was much later, but they were being established from the early 40s. Uh, they started to warehouse a lot of that stuff to get a good run in of merchandise uh, a lot closer to the airport. But Dino also told me that one of his time, uh, at least every six months, he would break away from the garment district and he was told that he had to go around a in the area of Queens and deliver brand new vending machines and take the old ones. And they would give him a list and he'd probably do that for a couple of weeks and then he'd go back to the garment district where the other truck drive teamsters would say, where were you? Oh, I was uh, in Corona. I had to do some, moving some equipment around. I'm big. But of course, he had to be juiced in for this operation and Dino was. So the operation would, of course, it wasn't like the big rackets, construction and all that other stuff, but it's constant money that doesn't stop. It just rings in every day, just like gambling. So these operations, and we talked about with Joe Lucchese, his operation would net $15 million a year in gambling. And that time, that's a ton of money in today's dollar. And that was just one of the rackets. Well, the vending machine business was the other one. So the Black Brothers were good at running numbers and they had a firm grip on the vending machine industry in Queens all three of the brothers. They would eventually split apart. They, they did not really operate under the same crew their entire career. Of course, Philly Black would become a couple. When exactly that was done, probably sometime in the late 30s, early 40s, he was placed in that position. And his brother Phil and Jimmy Black would remain soldiers. Jimmy Black would go under with a couple that would become his brother-in-law, and his name was Itoro Eddie Coco. And that's up next, our next episode. And he, Eddie Coco, had a very violent reputation and as a result uh, he was in line to become 
the boss of the Lucasia family after Tommy died. And they would go on to make the, the Black Brothers a lot of money in the vending machine and gambling operations. But here's the interesting part. Phil Black, 50 years he was recorded as becoming a made member in Costa Nostra, and in this case, the Lucchese crime family. And he was an original, as we said. He did a whopping 30 days in jail in 50 years. So you want to talk about flying underneath a radar? Criminal enterprise, you have the position of captain and you are there for 50 years and the most time you've done is 30 days in jail. That tells you a lot. Um, and, and the 30 days was for, for contempt. He, he wouldn't answer any questions, and so the judge got, and that was in the 60s. Uh, put him away for 30 days, and then they, all right, let him out. So he had already been a, uh, a made member for over 30 years when, when that one episode went down. So for, prior to that, 30 years, unscathed. But back in the 70s, the Black Brothers would leave Corona, and after making a whole lot of money in, in gambling and the vending machine business. And they would start heading for Miami. Now, they always had interest in Miami, and the Lucchese family did too. Specifically in this case, a Toro Eddie Coco, which actually first appeared in Miami probably in the late 40s, and his episode is up next. As a captain, he brought down his soldier, which was uh, Jimmy Black and his brother-in-law. So they would fluctuate from Miami to Corona, Queens, back and forth, back and forth, making a whole lot of money. When they were down in Miami, it wasn't just relaxation. They were doing and setting up shop there as well. Not as lucrative as it was in New York, but nevertheless, I'm sure they had operations in Miami. Philly Black would become a capo, as we discussed, and his crew was known to be underneath the radar there most of his career. They were into Shylock, so they're, sell, they're giving out money in exorbitant rates of interest to come back. When you start getting into the Shylock business and loaning out money, it's because you're making so much of it. And as soldiers, they were doing this. And of course, as the older brother that was a capo, it, it was, uh, they had money all over the street. The Black Brothers would eventually die with their boots on. All of them died, made members, active. There was no retirement package for the Black Brothers, the Falco Brothers. They didn't read the brochure, head out to the sunny beach, walk around. No. All the way until their last days, they were wheeling and dealing and operating and uh, flying underneath the radar. 
their efforts would establish the area of Corona, Queens. Their efforts would establish the Lucchese crime family in the vending machine business. The vending machine business was extremely popular with the Genovese family and Frank Costello. Of course, they had poker machines as well, and that was when LaGuardia broke them all and smashed them all up into little pieces, and that was in the 40s. Those poker machines kind of died. So vending machine was a great front for Costa Nostra to operate a cash business, and it would allow them to fly under the radar of the tax man as well, which was an important element with the Lucchese crime family. These men, the Black Brothers, as they were called, would loom large in the area of Corona. Dina would tell me that the older brother, Philly Black, would only be seen once in a blue moon. He was a couple, and he mostly was in the area of East Harlem and the Manhattan area. But he'd come down to see his brothers. And Jimmy Black would run the area of Corona more so than Phil, which was a little bit more reserved. And uh, Jimmy was a high roller in Corona. They would work the vending machine business with Nyan Frist. So I want to tell a little story about the vending machine business that I witnessed. And it was uh, either the late 70s or early 80s, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like 79, something like that. And I would get out of school and I would get off the train on Junction Boulevard in Queens, my dad owned a business right, right there at the corner of uh, Junction Boulevard in the area of, one side was Elmhurst, the other side was Queens. Junction was a divider. My dad was on the Corona side. And I'd stop into the business and, you know, he'd give me a couple of bucks to go eat or He'd send me in the vicinity of wherever the free meal was for the day because he knew everybody, the, the pizza guy, the Chinese guy, everybody. And uh, this specific day, I, I go into his uh, business. And my dad, by trade, was a dental technician. And so he'd work on teeth. He would have, you know, create teeth and work for dentists and do all those things. And it was a storefront. That's what he had. It was a, a, a corner lot, but it was a storefront. And as I went to the business, I you know, was in the back where he works. I go to the little desk that's back there with him. It was like the office. And he was at the, his work desk. And there was a younger gentleman there. My dad starts... Uh, talking to him and he's kind of whispering they are talking in Spanish the gentleman was Cuban and uh, my dad was encouraging him over and over 
not to do what he said he wanted to do. So it intrigued me, this conversation. And uh, my dad was one that uh, he wouldn't publicize things in the newspaper, that's for sure. So my dad, uh, after a good 20 minutes of talking to him, walks him out towards the door. And, you know, they continue whispering. And as my dad finally says bye to him and goes back to his workstation so he can continue working, I tell my dad, who's this guy? And he goes, him. And he kind of chuckles. That's an idiot. And uh, he thinks that he's going to muscle in on the vending machine business here in Corona. He doesn't know. And um, I go, well, what, what did he come here for? And my dad quickly changed the story. No, no, because I, he was uh, asking me about dentures. And so I never heard one word mentioned about a denture, but according to my dad, all of a sudden he was talking about dentures. And uh, a week later, it was on the front page of either the New York Post or the New York Daily News. Uh, fire, a uh, vending machine business firebombed in Corona by elements of the Lucchese crime family. So this guy was apparently running with another criminal element most likely the Cuban corporation. And he just said, I'm just going to open up a vending machine place. It was going to be a front because we were also going to do Bolita, which is illegal gambling there also. But a week later, the place was firebombed, caught fire. I mean, half the building went up in flames. And uh, it, it was on the news and everything else. Never saw that gentleman again never, never came back never saw him so a week later I come in and I tell my dad isn't it, isn't it? I show him the newspaper and I go isn't this the story you were telling me a week ago about the vending machine guy and my dad looks over at the newspaper and, and he looks at me and he goes don't mention this to anybody go 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 do something in everybody's conversation and uh, that was the end I must have been uh 15 or 16 years old I, I can't remember but um, they ran large in the neighborhood for the most part working class people that had businesses like my dad were never really troubled by organized crime but you had to know the rules of the area and the rules of the street in order to survive and what that gentleman was doing there and how he got there to talk to my dad, I'll never know, never understand it. But I know that my dad told him, because I heard it, you're making a mistake. The Black Brothers Falcos would eventually, after a long proper, proper life in Costa Nultra, will die. Philly Black would die in 1976, and the younger, the other brother, Phil Falco, would die in 93, and J. 
Jimmy Black would die in 1987. The the uh, two brothers would remain residents in New York, but had a second place in Florida somewhere. And Jimmy Black would actually move from Corona and move to Miami Lakes, Florida. They would get uh, towards the end of their uh, Jimmy Black's life, he would get indicted with his copper, uh, Tori Eddie Coco. And uh, we'll talk about that in our next episode, what they uh, were doing in Florida in the first place and all that, and the position that uh, Ettore Coco would have over the Lucchese crime family because, to put it mildly, he was feared by a lot of people. And uh, we'll talk about why. Let's do real quick. As I already told you what's up next, and that's uh, episode 235, Ettore Coco. Let's do the the uh, the lineup real quick. Uh, July fourteenth, Eddie uh, Ettore Eddie Coco. Uh, July eighteenth, WCP three twenty carrying Wilson Combat. July 21st, Tactical Shooting Rifle, episode 237 with Kilo Sierra. July 25th, The Downfall of Portland, episode 238. July 28th, The Scheduled Emergency. It's part of the Buccaneers series that will talk about how the left and the Dems want to do planned emergencies. And then we go into August. August 1st, uh, firearm suppression. What, What's that? And that's episode 240. August 4th, the Taurus 856 gun, episode 241. August 8th, French Connection, like in the movie with Gene Hackman, that was portrayed of the, a portrait of the Lucchese crime family. Episode 242, August 11th, Joe Narrow's Larautro, and he was the big king of gambling in Corona. He was also a captain in the Lucchese Graham family. August 18th, um, excuse me, August 15th, we go into roll call, day-to-day operations, law enforcement, recruitment, and retention, episode 244. August 18th, the system is its worst enemy, part of the roll call series episode 245 August 22nd The Wall Buccaneers series what's going on with the wall Uncle Joe says no wall then he says do the wall and we don't know about the wall The Wall episode 246 August 25th we're going to talk about the woke CIA that's right the woke CIA episode 246 247 folks you can't make this stuff up and August 29th, The Power of Faith, we're going to the AWOL series, episode 248. As always, it is my honor and pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself, because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community, for the law enforcement agencies that serve you, and most importantly, continue to pray 
for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike. I hear the cop cars. I got to go.